true sports listeners, you're about to listen to the famed Dr. Sharif Taba, founder of Athletics Rehab in South Florida. Dr. Reef has a wealth of experience treating some of the NFL's very best athletes. He shares his wis- wisdom on starting a practice, breaking down movement, and assessing athleticism. You're also going to hear him touch on understanding the basics, progressing exercises for the absolute elite, and whether or not one can truly isolate the VMO. As always, let me remind you, listen, learn, and share this pod because this is how you're going to help not just true sports, but our profession as a whole of sports physical therapists. Now, if you want to join our team of true sports PTs in Maryland, PA, or Delaware, we're always looking to add to our outstanding team. Just shoot me a DM at true sports PT on Instagram. Or email me directly, Yoni, Y-O-N-I, at truesportspt.com. We look forward to hearing from you. For now, though, here is Dr. Reef. We got Dr. Reef with us from Athletics down in Florida. Uh, so excited to have you, Dr. Reef. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Long time coming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for working with all, with all the scheduling and all the moving parts. I totally know how that goes. Um, tell the audience of sports physical therapists that are listening in now how you got to where you are. Sure. So I started, uh, I really started my career in the fitness industry, um, probably like 2004, three, four, something like that. I got into personal training, um, was our, uh, in school for business and really fell in love with the personal training side and fitness and exercise. Um, just it really clicked for me and I really enjoyed it. So uh, I was applying the things I learned to my own workouts and things like that and starting to get better results on that side. And as that improved, uh, my love just grew deeper. Throughout that time, I had a client that was a physical therapist, a young guy, and he was over at uh, Columbia University in New York. He was a clinician over there and he had gone to New York University. And he was like, listen, you're, you, you got a pretty good handle on a lot of this stuff. You should really think about going into physical therapy. And I've been lucky. I never had any major injuries that I had to do rehab, which is how a lot of PTs end up doing physical therapy. But uh, this was kind of my first exposure to it. And I really loved the idea. Um, in 2008, you know, we had all the market crash issues and I watched how people's, you know, expenditures were changing. And I found that, okay, in theory, if I'm dealing with people who are injured, uh, that should be recession proof. Who knew we'd be dealing with a potential recession now and determining how true that is. But uh, so fast forward a bit and I ended up applying to PT school, finished my business degree first and then went into uh, PT school, ended up going to NYU. And then one day we had a guest lecturer, which was that same uh, old client of mine. So that was a pretty cool full circle moment. Got a chance to, to see him. He said, wow, you actually did it. And here you are at NYU. So that was pretty funny. And um, from there, just really enjoyed. I always knew orthopedics was the route I was going to go and, and sports. Just that's had, I had been doing performance enhancement um, and corrective exercise specialties with my personal training along the way. And then I'd always played sports growing up. Um, and from there, I at NYU had kind of looked into how can I try to pursue my dream of working with professional athletes. Um, and along the way, got exposed to different opportunities. And through one clinical instructor in New York, referred me down to some other people down the, uh, in Miami that he had gone to school with and had some clinics that worked with pro athletes. So I did everything I could to work with the school to get that approved for my rotations. And I, you know, a lot of pushing and shoving and we got it done. And I came down um, and I said, no matter what, I'm going to make sure I kill it. And these people want to hire me. 
So did that, got successfully a, a job offer, um, went back up to New York, took my exam, took my Florida license uh, exam from there and everything and moved down and never looked back. From there, I did a few years uh, working with, with these guys, learning everything I could and um, just developing myself and being exposed to a lot more on the high level performance side as well. And then branched off after about four years, opened up athletics. This is now 2000 and probably 15, 16. And uh, from there, we kind of built athletics, started with one clinic and built it up into three now. That's, that is awesome. What I hear a lot when I talk to students or people younger in their career, they say, I want to work with pro athletes. It just seems to be like a common dream. Very rarely do I look down the pike and I look at an athlete that's not, that hasn't, or I look at a PT that hasn't stuck with us that they have met that dream or met that goal. So how do you do that? Give me the nitty gritty of how you filled your schedule with elite athletes. Uh, well, a lot of it comes, I think, from having to do the necessary steps early on to put yourself in that type of situation, which, for example, that's kind of the story I alluded to already, you know, leaving my friends, family and loved ones behind and chasing and pursuing an opportunity because I knew South Florida is one of probably the top three or four places in the country, only three or four places in the country. You can really heavily uh, work with professional athletes on a year round basis. It's a nice draw of a location, the weather, all these kinds of things. So um, that was one thing, being willing to take that leap of faith. Um, also not taking no for an answer. You know, when the school didn't want to give me um, an out-of-state new residency location or a rotation location, that um, I just didn't accept that. And I drove everybody crazy and, you know, did what I needed to do to get it done and, and, and make sure that it happened. Um, also figuring out ways to stand out from the crowd. Um, you know, I always tell students coming out, like, if you want to get into sports, you can't just come out and say, hey, here I am. I have my DPT. It's like, okay, so do you and everybody else. Like, what else have you done to stand out from that crowd? Um, you know, things like I came out of PT school with my uh, CSCS certification. I had had five years of personal training before even getting into PT school and, you know, different things like that to make sure I set myself up for success, made sure all my rotations were based around that type of environment, really chasing professional athletes along the way. And then trying to really provide, once you're out there in the field, you know, I was lucky enough to have chased down an opportunity to put myself in that situation. But then from there, making sure that you're providing a service that stands out from the rest. You know, the biggest thing I would say is when I recognize that a big difference working with professional athletes versus maybe recreational athletes and things like that is you have to think more critically. You have to think outside of the box. You have to find new, unique ways to challenge the athlete while still, uh, focusing on your primary goals from a rehabilitation or performance standpoint, um, making sure that, you know, a four-way ankle isn't going to be enough. <laughs> so how are we going to do the same type of four-way ankle strengthening that's required, but also maybe incorporate multiple body systems or a cognitive development or different things that we can continue to challenge a high-level athlete to maintain their engagement, but also to be able to represent and replicate something more realistic to what they'll have to do in their sport. Um, so, I think, you know, taking those, those risks and, and being headstrong about what you want and then making sure you're able to um, just provide a good service and, and from there, you know, word of mouth will let it build. Yeah, um, I, I love that. It's funny, I went through the same crap with my graduate school. Like, I was just dying to work with elite-level athletes, and they're like, here's the list of hospitals that have outpatient clinics. I'm like, How the, how's that going to help me? 
Um, and so right. what, what kind of barriers did they put up around that? They just said you can't set up your own? You know, I think it's honestly, it's been a long time, so I don't remember all the details, but I know it was, it was a lot of challenges. Um, you know, ever, the schools always say, sure, it's no problem if you want to set up your own rotations, but then when the time comes to it, it's, it's you know, it's more headaches, more paperwork, more risks, whatever it might be um, for the school. So they're not keen to go out of their way to make that happen. Um, and there's some schools even down in South Florida that I know not only frown upon it, but don't allow it. So that could be something that's important to understand if you're a student that hasn't picked a PT school, potentially understanding what are the rules around establishing a new uh, clinical site? Should it be that you're not finding what you want on their list? And, and I think that's an important element to understand when picking PT schools as well is what does that clinical placement process look like? Some schools do lotteries, some do, you know, uh, first come first serve, some, you know, so many different ways that it's done. I think it's an important thing to understand and know, hey, if I can, if I go out and find my own thing, but this is really what I want, and this is a place that does what I want to do, are you going to work with me to get that done? You know? Yeah, I think, I think that's really good advice. Okay, so it's really an awesome story of kind of you jumping over hurdles that were placed in front of you. Uh, what was the biggest challenge moving from an employee to being self-employed, and what was that decision really like for you? Yeah, that's there's a lot of things that, that are different there. Um, number one is, is the risk, obviously a lot of financial risk, um, a lot of responsibility, a lot of hurdles that you never knew you would have to overcome. Um, because, you know, we see a lot of people that come out and they want to, they want to open their own practice and, you know, or they want to get more involved in the business side and that's great. Um, but you start to ask yourself, what have I done to prepare myself for that type of challenge? You know, I, I even have a full business degree, four-year business degree, and still felt underprepared in a lot of ways. And I'm still learning as we go seven and eight years later. Um, and I still feel like I don't know <laughs> half of what I wish I did. Um, so a PT degree, we come out and we learn how to do physical therapy. Um, so they don't prepare you for starting a business or running a business or all, all these elements. So there's a lot of things that you have to prepare yourself for. So I know throughout the process, I started when I started to make the conscious decision that this is the direction I was going to go, I started to listen to a lot of podcasts on business and, and books, um, you, you know, audio books. I say a lot of audio cause I was doing it while driving and commuting to work and things like that, or at the gym. Um, and just trying to expand my education as much as I could to prepare myself as best I could. Um, there is a great, um, book and, and, um, what is his name? Jared, uh, the cash based PT, you know, I'm referring to Jared, uh, what's Jared's last name? I know him as the cash based PT. Yeah. So I can't remember his name. I mean, I read, did all his stuff and listened to all his podcasts and, and that helped early on and just kind of got me thinking in a different way and, and things like that. Um, and then just trying to build a team that, that makes sense for you to, to try to grow with and overcome these obstacles as you go. Yeah. Any other book recommendations? I get that question a lot. What, like, what are you in the middle of now that you would recommend to a sports PT listening to this? Oh, that's tough to say. Um, you know, I think if we're talking business, I, I, like, I, like I mentioned, the cash-based PT stuff is, is great with, with Jared. Um, and from a leadership management standpoint, I did a lot of, um, uh, goodness, what's his name? The military, uh, Jocko. Navy SEAL, Jocko, there you go, Jocko. 
Jocko's books. Um, did all of his books. Um, great, great, great reads and really good principles. You know, something I, th I take home with me still and think about a lot is his primary principle of as a, as a leader, you have to be able to look up and out. You can't be looking down and in. And he gives good examples in business and he gives good examples in, in military and war. Um, and the concepts are the same. And an understanding, you know, if you're head down in the weeds all the time, you can't figure out how to steer the ship and what direction you need to go. Uh, so finding the balance between those two things is very, very difficult. Um, that's where building a really solid team uh, around you comes and plays a massive, massive role. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, another another military-based leader, um, David Goggins, always talks about his foxhole, right? Like, who do you, who do you have with you? Who are you going to battle with every day and surrounding yourself with like-minded, growth mindset individuals? I have found to be super helpful and a challenge to discern who is it that that fits in that foxhole, right? I think that's such a, a heavy skill to learn. Is how how do you gauge who's worthwhile? How do you gauge who to invest in? Um, it sounds like it sounds like you have figured it out. So tell me more about athletics. How is athletics structured, um, and what sets you apart in the landscape of elite level PTs? So um, in terms of how we're structured, I mean we're we're a clinic that tries to focus on quality over quantity the best that we can. Uh, you know, changing reimbursements and things present ever and never-ending challenges. Uh, but the goal we stay primarily out of network. Um, and we try to keep our volume a bit lower so that we can improve our overall quality of care. It is an endless battle because, you know, as the economy is suffering and people have less money to spend, you have to battle that side of things a lot. And it's forever a battle to demonstrate your value and why you cost more than, you know, the in-network clinic across the street and things like that. So that's an endless, uh, endless challenge. Um, in terms of just, the direction we try to go is, is, is really attacking the, the athletic individual, whether that's a professional or a recreational or someone who's just in the military. You know, and I shouldn't say just someone who's in the military. We look at military um, personnel as, as athletes, absolutely. You know, so all of these different levels um, of athleticism really, you know, still equates to an athlete and how you're going to treat them and how you're going to approach that and making sure our team is all certified strength and conditioning specialists as well as doctors of physical therapy. And we all have a good understanding of the performance side of things as well as the rehab side. And everyone always talks about bridging the gap between performance and rehab. Like, okay, a lot of people say that, but how are we really doing that? And what does it mean to really do that? Well, in order to really do that, you have to truly understand both sides of it and be able to demonstrate that and be able to take someone back from the post-operative table to all the way back to playing at a high level. Dr. Reef, you make it easy to segue into my clinical side of this. <laughs> of this Perfect. So I yeah, I appreciate that. So watching all of your outstanding content, you place a tremendous emphasis on balance, proprioception, stability, and things of that nature. Why do you place such an effort on that? And, and where do you learn those things? So I think it's very important to incorporate a lot of that stability training and balance proprioception because number one, it's especially when you're dealing with athletes, but with anybody, you're addressing overall coordination, you're improving, you know, co-contraction stability, muscle activation, um, you know, and, and just overall health of the muscles and joints and things. So in life, you know, you'll get a lot of, we'll get a lot of criticism of like, Oh, you don't play, you know, football on a BOSU ball or you don't, 
play basketball on an unstable surface. Like, okay, that's obviously true. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. However, you also don't move like a robot either. So if we train very uniplanar all the time, then we rehab very uniplanar. What's going to happen when we get dynamic on the field or on the court? I mean, a great example of looking at like ankle sprains in basketball. I mean, so you're not getting away from ankle sprains. People are, are attacking the boards, they're landing on each other's feet. I mean, there's just no way it's going to happen. So how do we improve their ability to withstand that or, or uh, avoid it, you could say? It's really, it's not even so much avoid it as, as it is withstand it because as you improve someone's proprioceptive awareness, say they're on a BOSU ball and they're doing an exercise and that ankle starts to roll to different end ranges, uh, that is starting to develop eccentric strength at those end ranges. It's starting to develop a cognitive uh, awareness and proprioceptive awareness of where they are in space so that their body understands. If someone's not trained in that way and they get into a slightly inverted position or inverted position rather, and they're starting to roll the ankle, they could either throw a spasm which is the body's response to trying to protect it, which could result in an issue, a uh, muscle cramp or a strain, or it could roll all the way and they don't have enough control to decelerate and change that direction, which does result in a sprain or a tear. Um, so by training in that type of environment, um, we're able to prepare the body and work all those proprioceptors and be comfortable in those uncomfortable positions. Now, no one's saying that there isn't an important place for traditional strength and conditioning as well, or traditional rehab exercises as well. Of course there is, you know, we'll do balanced training on the floor as well. It doesn't have to always be on an unstable surface. It might not be as, as, you know, as sexy on social media and things like that, but it's a very, very real uh, component of what an athlete or any individual in general needs to be also working on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you do a good job of un- understanding the entire range of challenging an athlete, right? And so you got to check those boxes, make sure that they can do it on flat ground before you have them standing on what, whatever type of ridiculously unstable surface I've seen you have them stand on, right? So ju- just making sure you're following that progression and know how to sca- how to progress, but also scale. Um, and, and I think you do, you guys do a great job of it. Talk to me about your change of direction coaching and how you teach and approach acceleration, deceleration, and change of direction teaching. Sure. Um, when you start talking about change of direction and linear speed and things, it's really important that we as clinicians or coaches or whomever really have a good understanding of what does that mean? What do those mechanics need to look like? And what are the differences? You know, you can see a lot of exercises done and especially with social media, and it's like, okay, do we know what we're doing and why and what are we working on? Are we doing a, a, a wall drill, which is supposed to be designed for acceleration and striking back and down, and we're supersetting that with build-up runs and, and max velocity type exercise? Okay, okay, well, one is not necessarily related to the other. Yes, they're both related to sprinting, but are we putting it together in an organized and intelligent fashion? Um, and I think that whether we're talking about change of direction, speed, decel, um, or, or exercises, the same concept remains, which is progressions and regressions. So if we can start at a, a regressed level and work our way through a logical progression, then that is going to prepare the movement, prepare the athlete, and work on the individual steps and then get us up to that dynamic level. A good example would be like if we're going to do a, uh, say, a crossover drill over a hurdle. We're going lateral crossover. So we're going to bring the outside leg across. Uh, it's going to be like a one, two, three. So 
as we come across, we might just do what we call an individual first. We come over the hurdle, focusing on those mechanics, bam, and we get back to base, come across, bam. Now, what do we want to see? Are the hips flipping the way we want? Um, are the arms being thrown? Is the trunk torso going in one direction and the hips in the opposite? You know, do all those little pieces look correct? And we coach through that and make sure it does. Once that's all looking good, we get into the next level, which could be something that we call like reflexive. So we're going to go over and we're going to come back. So they're going to hit the crossover, they're going to come straight back across, and then they pause. So now it's gotten a little bit more dynamic where it was a true change of direction, right, where we're actually going to the right, and now we're coming back to the left. With that, some footwork might need to change. Um, it's the same mechanics of what we just worked on, but now are they pivoting off of that inside leg, or are they going to pick it up and put it back down so that we're getting a reciprocal foot movement to keep us dynamic on the field? You'd be surprised how many high-level athletes will do a drill like that, and they'll pivot off of an inside leg, which is like, okay, maybe that feels natural to you, but what happens if you're shadowing me and instead of me coming back this way, which you thought, I actually come back the other way. Now, if you're pivoting, you're closed off to me and you can't make a turn, you've got a speed turn to come around, you know, something like that. So we work on those little mechanics. Well, if that looks good, we can go to the next level, which is maybe what we'll call continuous, which is over and back, over and back, over and back. So without stopping, can we, can we actually hit that reverse button going back and forth multiple times in a row and still keep those good mechanics from the ground up, from the ankles, from the knees, from the hips, from the arms, the trunk, everything going in a good way. If that all looks good, then we maybe say, okay, what do we even do this drill for? Maybe it's like we're working on a, a, a DB who has to, you know, read the receiver, drop, crossover, run, and then he needs to flip his hips and break the other direction. Okay, cool. So now let's actually work on that. So you literally built from the very low level individual mechanic to a reflective, to a continuous, to like a dynamic, actual um, sports specific movement. Dude, that's good freaking PT, like right there. Yeah, you got appreciate it. Around, right. But, but you, you got to know, here's what I heard that, that was so important to me. You have to know what a perfect one rep looks like before you know how to scale, before you know how to progress, before you, know, before you get sports specific, what does an awesome rep look like? And to your point, not just at the hips, not just at the knee, not just at the affected limb, the entire chain. And that is the beauty of pulling on a solid foundation of exercise movement or human movement. But then to understand, then to be able to teach the athlete, this is a great rep. Here's what I need you to look on. Here's what I want you to focus on. Then here's how we're going to progress. And too often, understanding those good mechanics, you're absolutely right. Even on the Dr. Reef Instagram feed, it's impossible to know that early stage that you've already checked that box, right? Um, so it's just awesome to hear that, that you got to see the good mechanics, know good mechanics, and then be able to teach and articulate the good mechanics without overloading the athlete. So that is, that's super well put. Um, I wish I would have gotten that in grad school. Where did you get that? You know, it's funny. You get asked that question a lot. Um, I don't have a great answer. I think being around it for a long time, being in the industry for a long time in terms of a good background where you understood, um, you know, the, uh, the personal training side and then the performance side and then the physical therapy side and then putting yourself in environments where you get to see it done at a high level and, and, and learn. You know, I had, a, I had a, um, a professor in PT school who always said, if you, all you need to know is your anatomy and your kinesiology. And if you know those two, you'll be great when it comes to, especially with orthopedics. So that, then I always, that always stuck with me. And I said, okay, let me make sure I always understand those things. So I don't, I, I, I put it like this. I always tell people, you don't have to necessarily know 
a sport perfectly or have played the sport to be able to, to coach the mechanics. If you're good with movement and biomechanics, you can just study some film of things being done well and then, or, or in real time and understand, okay, this is what that movement pattern should look like. And this is how I could maybe improve that movement pattern to improve efficiency based on my knowledge and understanding of movement, kinesiology, and anatomy. And then from there, develop drills that make sense to specifically work on that function or restore that function if we're, we're talking about rehab or, or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, one of the most common questions I get asked, like, where did you, what book did can I read to learn all this balance stuff or all this core work or all these progressions on the field? It's like, well, I, I don't know. I never read one. You know, it's more just understanding everything and being able to put it all together and use your creative mind and not being afraid to create. As long as you have a good logic, I always, you know, tell our team, have a why behind everything you do. If you know what you're, you know why you're doing what you're doing and you have a rationale, then you're not wrong. Yeah, I love that. Uh, your answer to that question should be the Dr. Reef handbook, which I assume <laughs> is forthcoming. That should be a freaking answer. But um, I think you're right. R remember what that takes. So that takes prep. And that takes care. You have to understand what's the goal of the session, what's the goal of the exercise, what's the goal of the words that come out of your mouth. All of that needs to be tightened up, right? And that's going to help you find your why. Um, Dr. Reef, you might be the busiest physical therapist in the entire country. So I want to be super respectful of your time. I'm going to wrap this up with a, a rapid fire round. Ready? Yes. I did not send you these. Here are your five questions. You ready? Who's your favorite athlete? Yes. Oh, man, I can't do that. What? You're going to get me in trouble. That, everyone's got to have a favorite athlete. Mine's Patrick Ewing. Who's yours? Oh, wow. I mean, Michael Jordan. Oh, horrible answer. Dude, are you from New York? No, yeah, I am, but so what? <laughs> okay, I'm not what he would do in the air and the way that he would move, he, would just, he just did things that no one else could do. He defied gravity, his comfort. Talk about body. Talk about, like, spatial awareness and just being comfortable in the air. Crazy. Uh, if, he, if he plays today. Is he as dominant? It's a different game now, I guess, right? So, thank you. Hey, it doesn't matter. He played when he played. <laughs> he played when he played. You're right. As a Knicks fan, the guy ruined my childhood, so I can't say Jordan. <laughs> Next, ready? Favorite exercise? Favorite exercise? Um, Don't repeat the question, doctor. <laughs> so, are we talking about for myself? Are we talking about for rehab purposes? Are we talking about this? We need more yes. context. Yes. Yes to all those. Love that. Uh, my number one rehab exercise that I will, it's more so that I will incorporate with a million different things is the, the TKE, the terminal knee extension. I want to take that and I want to add that to a million different movements to make sure that we're really hitting that BMO, hitting that, uh, that, that good quad squeeze and, and taking a basic little exercise like a step down, adding a TKE, an RDL, adding a TKE, a Bulgarian, adding a TKE. So kind of a cheat because I get to add it to a lot of different things, but that's probably my answer. That makes a good answer. Can you isolate the VMO? Can that really be true? Right. I knew I was going to get that question back. I knew I was going to get that one. As soon as I said it, I knew I was going to get it. Well, we'll leave that to be debated for all the researchers, but I'll tell you what. Um, I, I find that I use it to work on um, attacking that VMO where we feel a, a palpable um, decreased tone and things like that coming off of long-standing knee injuries. We see a lot of athletes that have had a knee injury that they played through and the off-season time, and they just want to kind of get it back right, and and we're finding good tone through the lateralis, and we just get to that that, that VMO and that that medialis, and it's just got a lot of uh, lack of tone. And once we start really hammering these TKEs and, and all kinds of variations, a lot of that really does improve. So, okay. 
I'll take it. I'll debate you on a, let, a later pod, but well, it's a worthwhile answer. Okay. Fair enough. Um, downside of treating pro athletes. <laughs> That's easy. Uh, the, I would say uh, you're always you're always on their schedule to some degree. So you know you set your yeah you set your set your boundaries, but uh, to some degree you're kind of always on their schedule. You do your best to to work around it, but. Ugh, just show up on time, guys. I know you're listening to this pod. Just show up on time. You made an appointment with Dr. Reef. He's got other things to do. You're not the only human in the world. Just show up on time. He just wants you to stand on a bozo. Okay. <laughs> the number one IG that you follow is who? Oh, wow. Um, that's a uh, tough one. Don't say Dr. Reef. Yeah, duh. Athletics uh, page? No. Um, so, man, I really don't know. To be honest with you, I'm the worst because I'm on social. I'll do my post and I'm off social. <laughs> Which is oh, probably yeah. why my engagement isn't as good as it could be. Yeah, I try not to spend too much time on there. I mean, honestly, most of my social feed is, is all NFL related. I'm staying in touch with what's going on, staying in touch with, you know, any, anybody who's injured, seeing how all, all, our, all our athletes are doing um, and things like that. So my feed is, is a lot of football. And then it's all – I do a lot of scuba diving and travel. So it's all like football and travel. So <laughs> I love it. And if you could – if you could visit one place or go back to one place that you recently visited, it would be where? Favorite place in the world is without a doubt Costa Rica. Ooh, that was quick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Without a doubt. Um, good, like, well-founded, far-reaching. I appreciate you indulging that. Tell our audience of Sports PTs where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can find, uh, find me at at Dr. Reef, it's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R underscore R-E-E-F. And then of course that athletics rehab, uh, and as well as at athletics.performance. Those are all our social handles and we're at athleticsrehab.com. I love it. And where are you taking athletics in the next five years? What's your goal? Yeah, our goal is to continue to, to, to grow and build a solid team and, and open up into, into more locations and having the right team. I mean, right now we're really focused on, uh, slowing down our growth to, to really build up a solid team uh, so that we can grow at a more uh, effective and sustainable rate. Oh, I love that because it, it hints at something that I've, I've worked hard on, right? You can grow really fast, but are you growing really intelligently? For sure. And as the market changes and the economy changes, new challenges continue to arise. You know, you survived COVID and thought that there's nothing else that can come at you, but really all the COVID challenges are really, are really arising now. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So, Dr. Reef, um, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you dearly. I'm sure we're going to get you back on and dig into the VMO, um, <laughs> how to best isolate and recruit um, your Vestas Medialis. Thank you so much. I look forward to catching up soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Johnny. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Take care.